<laughs> They're so shiny. <laughs> and they've got these neat little handles on. <laughs> uh. Now we come across this point and we we come to that realization that the tomb is empty. And uh, this is why we are here. Because Christ is risen. And so as we um, come to the Scriptures this morning, my, my Scripture is going to be from Revelation chapter 5, but I'm not going to get there, but, in, but for, it'll take me a few minutes. Um, I thought I would like to read uh, from the life of Christ in stereo uh, just a quick picture of the idea, of, and, and the, the, the chapter title for this is Risen Victorious. And it puts everything into perspective, I hope, that I will share this morning. So this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sequenced together in a chronological order. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint Jesus. And on the first day of the week at the early dawn, they came and certain others with them to see the sepulcher, uh, bringing the spices and ointments which they had prepared. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone from the door and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and the raiment white as snow, and for fear of him, those on guard trembled and became like dead men. Now after Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom, uh, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Now Mary came to the sepulcher while it was yet dark and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. She ran therefore and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples, he whom Jesus loved, that being John, uh, and said to them, they took him away, the Lord, from the sepulcher, and we know not where they laid him. And Peter, therefore, and the other disciple rose and went forth, and they ran toward the sepulcher, and they began to run together, but the other disciple outran Peter. That's John got to the ahead of Peter and reached the sepulcher first. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter, therefore, came following him. And he went into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and the napkin, which had been about the head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then therefore the other disciple also, who had reached the tomb first, went in, and he saw and believed. And as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead, so the disciples departed again to, the, to their abode, wondering at what had come to pass. Whenever you read the Scriptures, especially when they come together like that and, you, and you're looking at it, you, the one question that might come would be, when did Christ come out of the tomb? Before or after the stone was rolled away? Before. Okay? Uh, and all they found was what was left of his grave clothes. So the picture is that there had been a resurrection 
God bringing back to life and it had been a supernatural event and that it was bodily in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Just as He had come in the flesh to deliver us, He rose in the flesh to show us the victory. And so I, I was thinking through as I was going through my notes and I was saying, okay, and, and, and you have to forgive me for being so kind of blunt about it, but let's say, you know, going into the tomb. What in, went into the tomb? And it, as I was thinking that, I said, oh, wait, John the Baptist. And no, understand, John the Baptist, in the very beginning of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, verse, 1 20, uh, verse 29, had said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who went in the tomb. The Lamb of God. The slain Lamb of God. What came out of the tomb? The bodily resurrected Son of God who would be called and you know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and we'll look at this today, the Lion of Judah, the Root of Jesse, or the Root of David, and the Conqueror. So open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. John is having a vision that has brought him to heaven to see all that is going on. And he has seen some amazing things. He's been told already to write down some amazing things. And now he is going to see some amazing things. And so we come to where he is sitting, where the throne of God is, or standing where the throne of God is, and he's being told some things, and he's seeing some things. And that's where we're going to pick up this story. He says, Then I saw, John speaking, uh, Then I saw in the night, in the right hand of, of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within, on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began, John speaking, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or, the, or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders... I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns with seven eyes with all the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him. Now, who's taking the scroll? The lamb has been slain. Took the, the, the scroll from the right hand of him who was sitting on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 12, 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense with all the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, you who were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God 
for every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I have no intention of going over all the details to try to to put all of that together other than the two verses that I really want to focus on was that there was a... Well, the verses, the scroll has to do with judgment. No one was worthy to open it. Now, it says that uh, one of the elders said to, to John as he's weeping because there's no one there to open it, he says, Behold, the Lion of Judah the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. He has conquered. And He will open the scroll. And then John looks and he sees one who is standing, which is the idea that it is man who looks like the Lamb who has been slain. And He comes over and opens the scroll. And then they worshipped Him. You see, He is the Lion of Judah. He is the root of Jesse, or David. And He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But it is an interesting thing that when He revealed Himself to the disciples after His resurrection, what was something that we noticed? He showed it to them. The scars in His hand, the scars on His feet, the wound in His side. In fact, one disciple, uh, we call him Doubting Thomas, uh, wouldn't be satisfied until he had touched the side of Jesus where the, the spear had rammed him on while he was on the cross. The resurrected Christ shows the scars of his authority, if you will, to say our sins are forgiven because he paid the price on the cross. In first uh, in first Corinthians or second Corinthians five twenty one it says that he became sin for us that we could live that we could have eternal life so into the tomb the the, the slain lamb out of the tomb the the lion of Judah the risen king who still wears the scars of the slain lamb. But something was accomplished. You have to say, why did we go through all this? Something was accomplished in, the, in, the, in, in, in that period of time in the tomb and through the resurrection. And one of the Scriptures I would share with you this morning is from 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, in the uh, first chapter, verse 10, Paul writes, Well, I'm going to go back to verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, 
but share the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And when now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life immortal, immortality to life through the gospel, the gospel being the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the good news. I, I, I look at this and just say, you know, it says he abolished death. Uh, other scriptures say that, 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 that Satan, who was the owner of death, if you will, was put to shame. He was defeated. His armies, if you will, were defeated. Christ's victory at the tomb is one of absolute authority and he has a plan that is established before the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world that says, I will have a, a people. They will call me Lord. They will call me King. I will be their, uh, they, my, I will be their God. They will be my children. It's, it's an awesome picture. This was accomplished at the cross. There was a prophetic picture in the middle of this that goes back to the root of of David having to do with uh, a prophecy uh, given Jacob in Genesis chapter 22 uh, as he was blessing his his children. And he said, reference to Judah, that the line of of, of Judah would bring forth the lion. And the idea of the picture of, of, of a messianic picture was established there. And uh, we know that David is of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the tribe of Judah. And, and uh, it's, that picture is, is that he is the lion. Some of you kids have a Bible that has on it, uh, all the kind of kids that are over there in Juniper Church, uh, has on it an embossed picture of a lion. And so uh, you parents remind them when you when they with their Bibles that they have, that is the Lion of Judah, the root of David, the one who conquered. And what it is is that he conquered was that he conquered sin. While he was here, he was a teacher, he was a healer. He antagonized, if you will, not by the sense of, of deliberate but by preaching the word, it upset the established uh, religious groups that had reinterpreted the word to suit their favor. And uh, their ultimate choice with him was to uh, want to destroy him. To destroy his work and ultimately to kill him. It went so far as to the, after his last miracle, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, they not only want to kill Jesus, it said they wanted to kill Lazarus too because he was proof. They were more interested in keeping their religious concepts and way going than they were listening to Christ. It put him on the cross. But yet, this was a foundation before the, uh, a plan before the foundation of the world. It was established before the foundation of the world. This would happen. Why was it necessary? Why was it necessary for him to become sin on our behalf? It was necessary because if there was going to be any children of God, if there was going to be a kingdom of God, there needed to be a sacrifice. 
to settle the judgment of sin on everybody. You see, and we could go to the back of the bulletin and, and look at this, but we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. We all need help. There's not one of us we, that can bring anything to the throne of God that will open his eyes and say, oh, okay, you can come in because of that. But the only thing that will get you in is the name of Jesus. He paid the price on the cross. And Paul puts it so simply. He said, for all who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, as they accept Him and who He is, they will be part of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus died for. He, he conquered death. He conquered sin. You see, there's two sides to death. There's the physical death. Will we all see that? Yes. But there's spiritual death. Spiritual death is at a point where those who know and love and have received Christ are on one side of the picture and, and those that have rejected Christ are on the other side. Uh, it's, it's put in, in one picture as sheep and goats by Jesus himself, the sheep that have received him, the goats that have rejected him. And the, the, the sadness that goes with that is the reality that there is a punishment. There is a judgment against sin. And it is, if you will, uh, it, it's absolute and it's permanent separation from God. I don't know what else hell is. But I, I don't know what else it needs to be. Because once we've seen His glory and separated from it, we'll be in agony. Jesus came to spare those who would confess His name, believe in their heart that He is the Son of God, that they might be spared that and instead have eternal life be able to confess and, and be in heaven for all that time to worship the, the, the Lamb, if you will, and cry out, worthy is His name. Worthy is He to be praised. I think of John as he sat, stood there and he's looking at this scroll and he's being told that the Lion of Judah... And, and the root of Jesse, the one who has conquered, will be the one that opens it. And he's relieved. I have to think there's a sense of relief. The elder has said, you don't need to weep. There is one who can open it. And when he looks around, he doesn't see, in that sense, he sees the lamb who has slain, was slain. And it's kind of like, wait a minute. Now, he's, he's also the lion. He's also the conqueror. He's the one who... He's put it all together, and yes, he will pick up. He's all of that. He's all of that together. He is the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain. Or the Lamb that was slain and the Lion of Judah. Now, I've heard it both ways as I was looking this out as to how to phrase that. How could this happen? How could... How could it all come together in the sense of a plan? And the only way I know to, to, to share this is to share the way the plan is explained by uh, Paul in his writing to the Philippians. In chapter 2 of Philippians, 
Paul is encouraging the church, all who have followed Christ, all who have confessed Him, all who have accepted Him, to have a, a unified mind in agreement together. And then he gives them a picture. He says, have the mind of Christ. And, and this is what he says, have the mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He's equal with God. He doesn't have to grasp for it. But yet He made Himself nothing. It means He humbled Himself. You know, made Himself nothing. He had everything was, was, was His to have, if you will. He made Himself nothing. He had nothing. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. This is what this is talking about. He humbled himself. This is the God who created, according to uh, Colossians, and, 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 and now he's, he has come into his creation as a man. But it says he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Not just a man, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then it adds, even death on a cross. You see, anyone hung on a tree for a crime, according to the Scripture, was to be considered cursed. He became cursed for us. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. plan before the foundation of the world was that He would come into the world. He emptied Himself. All of His were, all that was due Him. He should have been worshipped uh, you know, by everybody from the moment He was here. He was worshipped by a few. Foreshadowing what would come. But He set that aside. In fact, we're told if we read in, in, in Isaiah that he, he, he appeared like any other man. No one that you would take a special opportunity to turn around and say, oh, look, he's, he's really unique or really special looking. He, yet he was, he was God in the flesh. At one point it says that he really didn't own anything of the earth, physical, that every man would normally own. He didn't own it. How much did he humble himself? You know? And so this picture of him humbling himself is very important for us to grasp because at that point, even to the point of the cross, he's the lamb that was slain that went into the tomb. But he had said he would, that it would only happen, he'd only be there for three days. They didn't understand it when he said it, but they did afterwards. He'd only be there for three days, and then he would be risen from the dead. There would be a resurrection. It's exactly what happened. His plan 
was the, nobody completely understood until after the fact, looking back. How many things are like that in our lives? We look back and say, oh, now I get it. You know, uh, this, is, this was Jesus in the tomb, coming out of the tomb, the risen Savior, Lion of Judah, Root of David, the one who conquers sin for all who confess him as Lord and Savior. I, as I, I look at this and I, and I realize that he has come that we can rest with a confidence in a scripture found in Romans chapter 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do we deserve condemnation? Yes. Even after we confessed, in a sense, have have we, do, do we find that we still sin and fall short of the glory of God? We still deserve condemnation, and yet it says He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and treat us as if we had never sinned. Because at the cross, everything was paid in full, and He proved it with an empty tomb, a physical body, but still bearing the scars of the Lamb that was slain. He was the Lion of Judah. He conquered it all. but He stands there still on our behalf as the Lamb that was slain. This morning, every time we share communion together, which is every week, we are celebrating this whole picture. The reality. The Lamb was slain. The Lion of Judah raised from the dead, but still stands there on our behalf with the scars. The battle scars. And we realize as we come, we're still not worthy except for the blood of Christ. And at that point, when we know that Jesus is our Savior, we can confidently say that because of what He has done, there is no condemnation. I am saved. I rest with confidence in what the work of Jesus Christ at the cross and that's what we celebrate today, the risen Christ, the proof that the work was done. And we still have it, uh, something to look forward to with all of the church who's gone before us, and, and that means all our loved ones who have gone before us are still waiting to see, and that is the, the resurrection, the, lamb, the, lamb's, uh, the marriage feast, where we come together and celebrate eternity in light of Christ. So as you take communion this morning, take it with thanksgiving that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that He died for us and continues to stand for us as the Lamb that was slain. He's our Savior. The tomb is empty. So we can say, and indeed, He is risen. He is risen. Amen. I'd ask that the ushers come and, and uh, pass the communion out. As you receive communion,
hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share it together.
shared the Last Supper, we call it, with His disciples. And there were two emblems in the meal, the bread and, 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 and the cups of wine. And at some point in the meal, He took the bread and He passed it. He actually gave thanks for it. He broke it and He passed it to His disciples. And He said, this is My body that's been broken for you. And He asked us as often as we would share this memorial that we would do so until He comes again, believing in Him, Jesus Christ the Savior. At the end of that same meal, He took the cup of wine and He gave it the symbolic picture of His blood. He said, this is My blood that has been poured out for you to purchase the covenant of grace. And he says again that we not to, to to that he will not drink this cup himself until he comes again, but we are to do it as often as we do in remembrance of him. Father, again we come to say thank you, to worship you, and to, to, to actually take a time of, of joyful celebration that indeed you have risen, you are our Savior, and we worship you and praise you and thank you. And if anyone here today is, is not having that confidence, we ask that they would not leave here until they talk with someone they came with, one of the elders, myself, uh, as to why we believe what we believe. And we worship you, we thank you, we ask your blessing on our fellowship together, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close the final song? We have some stuff left over from this morning, I am informed, and so uh, if you would uh, like to, to revisit the breakfast table, or maybe you didn't have time to get there in the first place, uh, feel free to join us in, in the, in there, back there and see if we can empty all of those cans. I'm going first. <laughs> Let no one caught in sin read.
cross and run to Him who showed great love and bled for us. Freely You bled for us. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Beneath the weight. to none but heaven's will no scheme of hell no scoffer's crown no burden great can hold you down in strength you reign forever let your church proclaim Christ is risen from the dead Tramping over death by death Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead We are one with Him again Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Oh, death Oh, death Where is your sting? Oh, hell where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead, He's succeeded at the night. And oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? And oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. And Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. Do you guys have a good week?